0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot of great news with new releases from Blender with version 2.90. Lenovo has announced the ThinkPad X1 carbons with Fedora Linux are now available to order. NVIDIA's GeForce RTX 3000 series have been launched and it doesn't include the ridiculous super tag on it, which is fantastic. Manjaro edition of the PinePhone from Pine64 has been announced. We'll also take a look at a fantastic article that is on frontpagelinux.com right now about the history of Unix and Linux. And later in the show, we'll check out a new release from the team at Linux from Scratch and a new container based distro from Amazon called Bottle Rocket. Linux Mint releases their cool Warpinator tool as a flat pack, and Nitrix announced a pretty pretty big change in their distro structure. That'll be interesting to see what the community reaction for that is. All that and much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux Good News. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 116 of This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, a part of the Destination Linux Network. I'm Michael Tanell, and if you're new to the show, this is a show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world. I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping. So let's talk about the fact that the This Week in Linux podcast is now streaming live well, actually right now it's streaming as well, but it's back. So weekly can join me on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time to watch the show live. And also, if you're a patron, you can participate with me in the show and the like in between segments or in the post show and stuff like that. So I haven't decided how I'm going to structure that yet. But next week, if you become a patron in between, I will have that I'll have a post made it by explaining how it all is going to work because I will have decided at that time. But anyway, yeah, This Week in Linux is back streaming live. So if you are wanting to check out the, if you ever wanted to see how I do this show, then you can do so every week on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time. It is kind of a mess, but it's also a fun mess. So be sure to check it out. And also check out the other podcasts that I'm on, like Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts. Both of these podcasts are fantastic, and it's not just because I'm biased because they're my podcasts, but also because they just happen to be fantastic. Destination Linux is a fantastic show for people who are new to Linux or any skill level, really. It's just a fun show where you have discussions and there's a lot of banter and a bunch of stuff like that. Also, Hardware Addicts is a hardware podcast for anyone who's an enthusiast or an aspiring enthusiast for hardware like myself. I'm not really an enthusiast yet, but at some point I will be. And also be sure to follow me on Twitter or Mastodon, whichever one you want to use. So I, I use both of them pretty much equally. So check them out. I'll have links in the show notes for both of those. A first in the show this week is Blender 2.90. It's been released. This is actually really awesome. Just fantastic. I'm a huge fan of, of Blender. It's a great application. So the team intro said it related to this release, building on the success of the 2.8 X series, Blender 2.90 continues to polish the user experience, introducing improvements to EEVEE or EV. I'm not sure you're supposed to say it that way or not. Cycles, uh, sculpt, VR, animation, modeling, UV editing, and so much more. And that is just a, I'm just such a huge fan of Blender. Like a lot of the stuff I don't really know because I've used Blender for years. But there's so many things that Blender can do that I'm just not skilled enough in everything to to know all of these things, even though I've been using it for so long, because that's how amazing Blender is. It is such a fantastic application. It can do video editing. It can do 3D models. It can do motion graphics. It can do so, so many things. And it's also really good at all of these things, which is what makes Blender fantastic, is it? it's not just an open source alternative that can do these types of things. It also does them very, very well, and it's a very powerful application. So Blender is just fantastic, and it's been around for a very long time been Around since 1994, was the first release of Blender. It was actually around before that under a different name, but Blender was the first, like 1994, was the first version of Blender itself. And this new release has a bunch of cool stuff. It's got a uh, motion blur, has been rewritten from scratch for the EV plugin stuff. And also, they added some stuff for uh, cloth simulations. So you can now do that on uh, mesh models. You can do cloth filter to simulate uh, cloth, uh, simulate cloth on meshes, uh, cloth pressure gradients. Also, there's four types of cloth sim- simulations now, which, by the way, if you're not familiar, cloth simulation is a very important thing because it allows you to have more realistic CG when you have humans having their, their shirts move in the wind and coats move and stuff like that. So cloth simulation is very important. Or uh, realistic CG animations, uh, it doesn't seem like it would be because it's just like cloth stuff. But it's very important, and it is—they've—it's they, they, already really good in Blender, and these improvements just made it look so much better. You can see in the video version the animations from the like on their homepage for their freedom to create. You can see so many cool things you can do in Blender. It's just a fantastic application. There's—I I could go on for hours talking about all the really cool stuff like the denoise stuff the new denoise filter now available in a 3d viewport uh nv link support for cuda and optics uh topology slide relax mode also features two new deformation modes like pinch and expand and a bunch of more it's just it just never ends with blender which is awesome because it shouldn't and i am a huge fan of blender and if you'd like to check out this latest release i'll have a link to it in the show notes below Up next in the show is Lenovo's ThinkPad X1 Carbon with Fedora Linux is now available to order. And right now there's actually a sale on, there's a coupon code that gives you a huge discount as of the time of the recording. Though I'm not sure how long that's going to last because it says it's for the Labor Day and that was... Already passed. Uh, but anyway, this is really awesome because four months ago, Lenovo announced plans to offer Linux laptops, and the ThinkPad X1 Carbon Gen 8 is the first laptop available for, with Fedora Linux pre installed. Not just from them, but also just in general. Red Hat Senior uh, Software Engineering Manager Christian Schaller, hopefully, I said that right says that this is a big milestone for us and for Lenovo as the first time Fedora ships pre-installed on a laptop from a major vendor. And it's the first time the world's largest laptop maker ships premium laptops with Linux directly to consumers. Currently only the X111 or X1 Carbon is available, but more, more models are on the way. So this is fantastic. So if you want to know about the specs, I'll have the full list in the li- in the show notes below, uh, in the links. So, so you can go to the show notes and check out the entire thing for all the different processor options and everything. But I'll give you like a quick synopsis of this. So the processors, there's actually going to be four different variants. There's the there's two i5s and two i7s and they have, uh, depending on which one you get, there's four cores, eight threads. They also have options for uh, eight gigabytes or 16 gigabytes of, of RAM. It has storage options of uh, 256 gigabytes, 512 gigabytes, or one terabyte PCIe SSD options for the storage. It's going to have a 14-inch display, which will have, as an IPS full HD, or 1920 by 1080 is what full HD means. And it also has 400 nits for brightness levels, And but it is is fantastic that uh, Lenovo is doing this with Red Hat to get Fedora on there because there's so much potential for this of like I've been wanting Red Hat to put a lot of a lot more effort into Fedora and, you know, push Fedora as a desktop platform, like put their backing behind it because they kind of do and they kind of don't. And hopefully, if this laptop sells, then it will convince them that they should put more effort into Fedora in that sense, because I think Fedora has a lot of potential, but they just need to put some more backing behind it and just kind of put the polish into it and do like they could they could do so much. Red Hat could do so much with Fedora. Fedora is in a position where it could be the absolute best uh, distro period. But it needs to have that backing to do it, and I think that if this laptop, like, proves to them that it's successful and people want that kind of thing, and they want people, they want them to put the effort into Fedora. Hopefully, it does happen. So, if you are interested in getting a new laptop, this looks like a pretty good deal. You can get a pretty powerful laptop from Lenovo with with the X1 Carbon ThinkPad with Fedora pre-installed. Links and all the spec stuff in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about a fantastic article written on frontpagelinux.com by Eric Londo. It's titled, A Guide to the History of Unix and Linux, Everything You Need to Know. And you'll notice that it is not an exaggeration of a title when you, when you check it out because it is a gigantic awesome, impressive article that talks about the history of Unix and Linux in extensive detail. It's a very long article, but it's also packed with just tons of information. So it might take a while to read it, but it's worth reading. And in the chat room, Jacob says that he's uh, on chapter three of that article, season four, episode two of the history of Unix and Linux, the unabridged version. (laughs) So it's a fantastic article. You definitely need to check it it out. And also check out Eric Londo's uh, other articles that he posts on frontpagelinux.com. He posts quite a few of them and also has the Linux++ column that he does on a consistent basis to cover all the weekly news and stuff like that and also does interviews and a variety of different things. It's a fantastic article. Uh, series that he does on FrontPage Linux. So check that out as well, Linux++. And, and and in fact, based on the the guide through the history of Unix and Linux, that, that's such a great article. It has so much great content packed into it. I even made a video about six cool things you didn't know about Linux history based on the article itself. So there's so much stuff in there. And I mentioned how on number three of that video, there's a thing about uh, Jurassic Park mentions Unix. It's a very common term, where, as a joke to reference the way Hollywood treats technology, it's there's a part where it says, "This is a Unix system." I know this, and it's like a joke kind of thing that became like a meme to make fun of Hollywood for exaggerating things. Because when they say that, they show this like really elaborate way of navigating a file manager, and it's just kind of ridiculous. But when I put that in the in the video, I didn't know. And I got uh, comments and uh, tweets and stuff like that to let me know, including uh, Eric Londo sent me a message saying, hey, the file manager that you display in Jurassic Park is not a fake representation of the file system. That is legitimately a thing back then. Like, they just activated that version of the file system manager and just used it. And it looked so, ex- like, ridiculous that people thought it was just a fake representation. But it legitimately, you could use that back then. Anyway, it's... Crazy because Jurassic Park is kind of like credited for creating this whole memification of Hollywood doing uh, technology like techno babble nonsense. And they didn't actually do that. They just used a legit thing and it was so ridiculous that people thought it was fake. (laughs) So I thought it was fake. This is a thing. So I looked it up like it is a thing that is crazy. If you want to find out more about some awesome stuff, in the, check out the video and also check out this great article because there is just tons of it. I'll have a link to that in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to co/dln. DigitalOcean is optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. I set up some new droplets recently for the quality control platform for the community, and there's a lot of cool stuff that I found. Like, I already knew it was really easy to add SSH keys, but I didn't know how easy it was to do a floating IP. So I was like, okay, I need to add a floating IP, so how exactly do I do this? Uh, Go to the tutorials, and then it's like, okay, that okay, got it, got it. Now go back to DigitalOcean, And it's just a simple link that says enable floating IPs. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> so it was super easy and I got that set up very quickly and it's just another example of how awesome DigitalOcean is. And they also recently announced new things like the VPC or the Virtual pi- Private Cloud in all regions free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads, which is awesome. And if you'd like to check it out, you can get started by by going to do.co slash DLN and this will give you a $100 free credit that you can use for two months. This allows allow you to do a bunch of like a dozen droplets or or even some monster-sized droplets that you can have for two months to try out all the different things that you can do with it, and also check out their marketplace. It's a fantastic way to get really uh, to get easy things set up very quickly. And again, go to do.co/dln to get started with that one hundred dollar credit. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show is NVIDIA's announcement for the RTX 3090, 3080, and the not 37, 3070. This is the GeForce RTX 3000 series has been launched. This is a part of the Ampere generation of GPUs. The RTX 3090 is aimed at replacing the Titan GPUs. And also there's 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 even claims that say that the RTX 3080 has roughly twice the performance of the RTX 2080 at the same price. So for those who purchased a 2080, that is unfortunate. Uh, Or if you purchased it recently, if you purchased it like years ago or whenever it came out, that's not that big of a difference. But if you purchased it like just in the past month or so, uh, that'd be annoying. But there's this really cool there's a lot of interesting stuff that came out in this one there's the one of that I really think would be fantastic to see how it works is the noise cancellation that they demoed they have like supposedly artificial intelligence that just like can give you like denoising so in you could have a hair dryer they showed a hair dryer in example in the demo that you could have that in the background and it will still be able to isolate your voice and from that which is amazing i don't even know how remotely how that works but that sounds fantastic and there's a lot of other cool stuff and if you want to learn more about this i would suggest checking out hardware addicts episode 18 because ryan and wendy talk about in in depth this particular announcement and because i'm not really a hardware person i i'm enthusiastic about hardware i want to learn more about hardware but i don't know much yet so i'm working on it it's only been 18 episodes of the show and so i'm still working on it and that sounds kind of bad that it's been 18 episodes and I'm still very, very new to hardware. <laughs> but hey, it is what it is. So check out Hardware Addicts episode 18, where we talk about NVIDIA 3000 series GPUs. Well, where they talk about that mostly, mostly. But you definitely need to check out the uh, 18th episode of Hardware Addicts. It is absolutely worth it. Uh, so I'll have links to that in the show notes. I'll have links to the announcements from NVIDIA as well, but links to the episode of Hardware Addicts in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some awesome news from Pine64, and that is the PinePhone Manjaro edition is going to be available soon, so you can order it. And there are a lot of interesting things about this, so let's talk about that. So Manjaro PinePhone is going to have three different interface or options. It'll be using Lomira, which is from the UbiPorts team, a FOSH, and that's from the Librem team, and a Plasma Mobile from the KDE team. So all of these will be at some point available as a build variance, which is fantastic. That is really cool. So you can have one distribution that has multiple interfaces. And also because the Pine phone, it supports so many different OSs. You can even do like multi booting on the phone, which is really interesting. So I can't wait to get mine. I have one on order for the convergence package. I have the post-market OS version because it was the first one that had the convergence package and this one also has a convergence package. So if you missed the ability to get the previous batch, you can still get the convergence package with this latest uh, Manjaro edition Pine phone. If you're not familiar with what the convergence package is, I'll go ahead and tell you. It includes, a, it's like a USB-C dock that attaches to the phone. And on that dock, it includes an ethernet connection. It has two USB type A ports and an HDMI digital video output port. And also it has the power, being able to power via USB-C. So, you can connect it to a monitor and a keyboard and turn the PinePhone into a Linux computer, which is just amazing. And also, you can do all of this for the Convergence package, which comes with the phone and the dock, is only $200 or $199. And you get uh, three gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of eMMC storage, which is twice as much as the regular model because the non Convergence model has uh, 16 gigabytes. And the USB talk dock has all this cool stuff. And I can't wait for it. I, I As soon as I saw that it was like, uh, they have a slightly more powerful Pine phone. I was like, I'm I'm very tempted. Then the Convergence dock is like, Psh, I'm in. I get, I'm getting it right now for sure. <laughs> it's like, so if you're interested in doing it, you can do, you can get one with Manjaro. And I'm not sure if you can just order different build variants or whatever, but very cool. And they say that the pre-orders will be opening fairly soon, mid-September. So you can subscribe to their blog to be notified when it actually does go open, or you can follow them on Twitter and Mastodon to get notified when that does happen. So I can't wait to get my uh, Pine phone and play with the convergence package because it's very cool idea, and I am super excited. So I will be probably making a video about that when I do get it. So be sure to subscribe to the channel if you'd like to see that. Up next in the show is an interesting thing from Amazon. So Amazon announced that their Amazon Web Services... That they've just released Bottle Rocket, which is well Bottle Rocket Linux, which is a Linux distro for containers, and it's written in Rust. So earlier this year, Linus Torvalds approved adding drivers and other components in Rust to Linux, which shows that it's getting a very, very popular that that programming language. Mozilla created the programming language of Rust, and also Amazon chose to use Rust. They say because it's easier to write secure software in it. So Samantha Chandra Sh- Shekhar uh, Chandrashekhar, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, I tried, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, this is an uh, AWS product manager said it helps ensure thread safety and prevent memory-related errors such as buffer overflows that can lead to security vulnerabilities. So that's why they chose Rust. And this particular distribution, there's a lot of stuff. It's more of like cloud-based technology. So, you know, you might want to go into more details. Like later, I'll have links in the show notes. So I'm not going to cover everything about that, but I do want to cover a few things. So it's designed to be quick and easy to maintain. They say the updates to Bottle Rocket can be applied and rolled back in an atomic manner, which is fantastic, uh, which makes them easy to automate, reducing management overhead and reducing operational costs. Now, I haven't used this, obviously, so I can't give you an example of what how good it is to use. But atomic updates are incredibly important. They make it so much easier to manage your system, whether it's a desktop or a server, especially a server because you don't want to manage that all the time and run updates all the time. You want to limit the amount of updates you want for the server because that way you don't have to worry about you know if things changing too much, did it create did it introduce b- bugs or blockades or breaks or whatever. You know so like that kind of thing is as a fantastic because atomics, uh, updates allow you to, or it's also called transactional updates. It allows you to update only certain pieces, and also ability to kind of roll back and do snapshots if something does go wrong. So that's very cool that they have that. It makes sense considering it's a container-based distribution, but still. Now, whether or not you use this, it depends on if you use any Amazon Web Services and that kind of thing. But this is just good that they're working on it because Amazon making an open source distribution of Linux. Which is what Bottle Rocket is is good because it shows how important it is to you know embrace open source, to embrace containerization, and embrace Linux, which is just fantastic to see. So the more and more companies that jump on the bandwagon, the better. And while I might not necessarily use this particular distribution, and I don't know if who would because I'm not in that cloud space, but if it's something that you're interested in. Then I'll have a links to it in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the open source password manager that I use and trust. And you can check it out by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. Password managers are a great way to have a balance of security and convenience when you're using online accounts because you need to have a different password for every single account on every single website. But that becomes a lot to deal with in terms of keeping up with it, even making new uh, new passwords and everything. So this is a great way to use a password manager. And the one that I trust is Bitwarden because not only is it open source, they also do third party uh, security audits where they hire security firms to actually hire to audit their code to make sure it is as best as it can be, which is a fantastic thing. They even recently, just a couple, like a month ago, they released a new audit that they did with another company. So they're just constantly on the ball. And also it's fantastic because you have a level of convenience with the multiple uh, devices you can use it with. You can do mo- mobile browsers. Mobile browsers. You can do mobile devices like phones and tablets. You can also do desktop, browser plugins, and even the command line if you want to. It also has auto-filling passwords, so you don't have to type in the password yourself and generate the passwords with their password generator, so you don't even have to know what the password is in the first place. It's a fantastic option, and it's one I've been using for a very long time, way before they even became a sponsor of the network, and I'm just a huge fan of Bitwarden. So check it out. Go to bitwarden.com dln to get started with your account. And also, you might want to check out their premium account. Account. They have premium accounts, they also have business accounts and enterprise and teams and all and also even a family account where you can have multiple people in your family do it and they're super cheap. The, the prices start at ten dollars per year. Like that is a fantastic deal. You get all this great uh this great features and great software for ten dollars a year. And so make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. And if you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition because Especially since that premium edition is only at ten dollars per year. So thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. Up next in the show is some really cool news from Linux Mint. They've released their tool Warpinator on as a flat pack, and Warpinator is a fun thing to say, uh, but it's it's a really cool idea because it's an imp- it's it's basically making it possible to easily send files back and forth over a network, which is great. So Warpinator, is, this particular release also improved network connectivity and preservation of files permissions. Uh, the SNI Watcher is now asynchronous. And this is a really interesting thing because in addition to making it a flat pack, they also have interoperability between the flat pack and the non-flat pack. So Mint says you can use both flat pack and the non-flat pack versions of Warpinator on the same network, which is just fantastic. So if you want a really easy way to send files back and forth on your network, check out Warpinator from Linux Mint because now with a Flatpak, you can use it pretty much on any distro, which is awesome. So another reason why universal app formats are great. And I actually plan on making a video about how important these formats are to the ecosystem. This is just another example because with this, you can now easily get Warpinator on whatever distro you have that supports Flatpaks. packs. So that's awesome. You'll learn more about Warpinator. I'll have link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some really interesting news from Nitrix. So Nitrix 1.3.2 has decided to drop SystemD for OpenRC in their latest release. So, Nitrix is an Ubuntu-based distribution using the KDE Plasma desktop, although it's not exactly KDE Plasma. It's their own desktop that is built from KDE Plasma called NX Desktop, which, by the way, is a very nicely polished desktop for Plasma. So, if you've never tried uh, the the NX Desktop, it's really cool because it basically takes KDE Plasma and then just like modifies it quite a bit and polishes it up really nicely in kind of a um, uh, an interesting approach to sort of Mac-ish Mac OS type with Plasma. That's, it's not really what it is, but that's kind of like it. But anyway, it's a really nicely polished desktop. They also are doing something really interesting with the SystemD no longer shipping as default in its system. They are now using the OpenRC uh, dependency base in its system as the default with the 1.3.2 release. And what's really interesting to, to me about this, like I know some distros don't like system D and choose not to use it. I, I don't really have a preference either way. However, I have used system D and also other different init systems. Oh, system D is more than init system, I know. But, you know, for this init, init part of it, I have used system D and I think that it's very simple to use and I really like that in comparison to the previous methods. So I am... I don't really care that much in terms of like pro system d anti system d, but I'm okay if it's there uh but they decided to get rid of it, and I think it's interesting because an Ubuntu based distribution using system D is expected because Ubuntu uses system D and they use it because Debian uses system d. Nitrix is going to replace that, and that's a big that's a big component to take out of your distribution and having two upstreams with Ubuntu and Debian. So I don't know how that's going to work out, but it's very interesting that they decided to do this. But if you haven't used Nitrix before, maybe give it a shot and see if you like an Ubuntu without SystemD, because I don't even know if there's any other distros that are based on Ubuntu that don't have SystemD. I think they all do, except for this. I could be wrong, but still really interesting. And if for some reason you don't like SystemD, but you still want to use an Ubuntu-based distribution... Then check out Nitrix. So there you go. And also, NX Desktop is pretty cool. So check that out either way. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Up next in the show this week is Linux from Scratch 10.0 has been released. For those who are not familiar, Linux from Scratch is basically the most complicated way you can install Linux, period. And not only is it not, a, it's not even a distribution, it's actually a book that helps teach users how to roll your own Linux installation from source. So essentially, you build it from scratch, hence the name Linux from Scratch. So this is fantastic as a way of a learning tool. It is essentially going in the deep end. Okay, no, that's not true. You know the phrase of like, you know, shallow end, the deep end. This is not the deep end. This is more like deep sea diving. Like this is way beyond the deep end. Uh, like, for example, if you want to learn how to install Linux, there's easy processes like the Ubuntu method of just installing the thing and it goes, you know, click next and next. Then there's also other more complicated methods. So, like, Debian is a little more complicated, um, Fedora is a little bit more complicated. But then there's even beyond that, whereas Arch, where you have to essentially learn from the command line and do everything. Uh, for the most part yourself you have to, there's a guide that teaches you how to things but you don't have to build any of the packages they're built, the packages are already built for you just tell it what you want to install then you go even farther and you got Gentoo and Gentoo and Funtu and stuff like that allow you to uh, do similar to the way that Arch does but you do have to compile everything, it just has more of a guiding hand but still more complex and learning and then you have Linux from Scratch which is even beyond that there's also beyond Linux from Scratch but Anyway, but it goes another deep level where you're learning everything, like not only just compile flags, but also how to set up the compile flags and how to do everything from source. So if you want to learn the absolute bare bones way to install Linux, Linux from scratch is the way to do it. However, I will go ahead and warn you that Linux from scratch is uh, it takes a long time. Like the first time you ever use Linux, it's like 15, 20 minutes if it's the very first time you've never installed an operating system before, it might be a little bit weird. You might take like an hour or two because you're not you're not sure about what the questions mean or something like that. But typically, these distributions like Ubuntu only take like 15 minutes to install. But if if you've done if you you know the uh, per time, but if very first time might be a little bit. So in comparison to that, you have Arch, which will take an basically an entire day if it's the first time you've ever done it depending, well, if it's the first time you've ever done any installation of an OS, it'll take a lot longer than that, but it's like the tiers get higher and higher. And then like Gen 2 is like a couple days or three days or so, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, like the first time typically you would do that in a virtual machine because you could then save your state and then come back later and do it again, that sort of stuff. And then you have Linux from Scratch, which will take about a week and that's very quick. It will probably take more than that depending on how comfortable you are with the command line and how familiar you are with the system and that sort of stuff so Linux is really really cool and also a lot of stuff to do so this is more of like a warning that this is cool but not for everyone and not for most people really so anyway there you go there's a bit like a Basic level of the un, like the descriptions of the complexity of these things, but uh, Linux from scratch is uh, it's not a simple task. Their their pre- prerequisites page says. Building an LFS LFS system is not a simple task. It requires a certain level of existing knowledge of Unix system administration in order to resolve problems and correctly execute the commands listed. In particular, as an absolute minimum, you should already be have the ability to use the command line to copy and move files and directories, list directories and file contents, and change the current directory. It is also expected that you have a reasonable knowledge of using and installing Linux software in general. Uh, So this is they've actually anyway. So that's the prerequisite. Information about it, Uh, LFS book has gone gone undergone a major reorganization. The guidebook has gone through a like massive like um, Morse uh, cross compilation techniques have been added. Also, like a bunch of improvements of overall like uh, the 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 efficiency of the compile structures. And I mean, still you know still in from scratch, so efficiency is relative. But it's very cool, and they've actually made some changes a lot of ways, and including. The, an updated version of the Linux from Scratch book for SystemD usage was also released. So speaking of SystemD, if you want to have SystemD on your Linux from Scratch system, that their book also explains how to do that. So that's great for those who want to do it. And if this has intrigued you enough to try out Linux from Scratch, uh, best of luck there. Uh, there's actually an interesting experiment happening on the DLN forum where there's a project with people like trying to... Uh, you know, help together kind of figure out how to do it in Linux from Scratch. So if you want to participate in that thread, I'll have a link in the show notes below for it. Uh, but anyway, that's pr- that's a really cool idea of like doing it together to kind of like help each other learn it because it is a lot to do and that might be a better method to try it. Uh, so I'll have a link to the forum post for that kind of experimental approach if you'd like to check that out, as well as the news for Linux from Scratch itself in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here in the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to the DLN store at DLNstore.com. This is the Destination Linux Network store. And here you can find a bunch of stuff in addition to the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which, by the way, is a fantastic shirt. And another great shirt is the This Week in Linux t-shirt that I'm currently wearing in the video version. So if you're watching the video, you can see it. If you're watching the audio, we'll just go to DLNstore.com to check it out. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of these shows that are on the Destination Linux network. And... Just a reminder, the show is back to being live. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but it is back to being live. So join me every Saturday and you can join the live chat room. Or if you become a patron, you can actually join me in the on like the in between segments and like in the post show and a bunch of other stuff. We're going to be changing a lot to do with the way the live used to work. And we're going to make it a really awesome time. So uh, join me every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time on for the live edition of This Week in Linux. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next time for your next week's episode of The Weekly Source of Linux Good News.